Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Meet the Producer, the podcast that puts the art, craft and business of producing in the spotlight as I talk to film and TV producers about their work and careers to learn how they approach the many facets of their job so that you and I can better go about ours. This is the second season of Meet the Producer, again brought to you with the support of the Production Guild of Great Britain and sponsored this time by Production Service Network, PSN. Production Service Network facilitate physical production and access to incentives worldwide. The network taps producers into local production knowledge and expertise spanning more than 100 countries to determine where to best achieve the creative vision of film and HETV projects on budget. Visit productionservicenetwork.com. This second season of Meet the Producer puts the focus on awards season, as many of my guests will be in the race for nominations, for Guild Awards and sometimes for the most prestigious prizes the industry has to offer. So we'll be finding out what effect that can have and how to react when and if it happens. In the first season of Meet the Producer, I was a new producer myself. But since then, and partly due to the advice I received making that series, My projects have advanced considerably, and my knowledge and confidence in the role is growing. Awards may be some way off now for the moment, but after a career covering them as a critic and presenter on the red carpets and in news studios, they're the destination I'm aiming for as a filmmaker from the start. Why not? So let's get going and meet the producer. My guest on this show is Keith Beauchamp, an American producer with a quite extraordinary story on an extraordinary film. The movie he's produced is Till, which tells the story of Mamie Till Bradley, the mother of lynched Emmett Till, whose brutal murder in 1955 in Mississippi and her pursuit of justice and her activism thereafter sparked the civil rights movement. Both? When you get down there... Oh, not again, Mama. I've already been in Mississippi. Only one time before, and you started a fight with another little boy. He was picking on me. You're in the right to stand up for yourself, but that's not what I'm talking about. They have a different set of rules for Negroes down there. Are you listening? Yes. You have to be extra careful with white people. You can't risk looking at them the wrong way. I know. Oh. Be small down there. Like this? Starring Danielle Deadweiler as Mamie, the film was produced by Keith Beauchamp, working with Whoopi Goldberg and Barbara Broccoli, amongst others, while Keith is also credited as a writer alongside the film's director, Chinoni Chukwu. I spoke to Keith to find out how he did justice to this incredible woman by bringing her story to the big screen, and how he felt about a long journey finally reaching its destination. You know, I haven't had time to really think about it, Jason. Um, It's been a 29-year journey for myself, not just the struggle of trying to tell Emmett's story on the silver screen, but to fight for justice in his case. His mother, the late Mrs. Mamie Till Mobley, was a mentor and friend of mine for eight and a half years. 
And so this is something that she actually charged me to do, something that she had tried to do um, on her own for 47 years of her life until she took her last breath. So, she, so what she said, to, excuse me for interrupting there, there kids, what, right. she, what she said to you, whatever you do, make make this film. Her kind of dying yeah, wish. Well, and, well, it wasn't just that, Jason. Um, she herself had tried to make this film for 47 years after Emmett's death. In fact, she had two movie deals in 1955, but of course they were never produced. I mean, the, the film was never produced because of the times i believe but throughout her life i mean people kept coming in and out want to produce the film but no one has been able to do it in 67 years and so until now and how, so, how, um, how, how, how come it took you to do it uh, keith what's so what's so special about uh about keith, keith Beauchamp, the producer <laughs> that you you managed to get this made you managed to get this produced yes uh, not only one time but two times i mean this is my second attempt to get this story to the masses and i i have to say um you know, there are certain things that are destined for people, and that's the only way I can actually explain this journey. Um, you know, Mother Mobley, which people don't know a fun fact about her, she was clairvoyant in a sense. And so she envisioned what my career would look like before I even realized it. Yeah. Um, she told me that I was going to be the one to get her son's case reopened before I realized it. And so a lot of the things you know, that was um, charged for me to do um, some things that she had planned for me and uh, things that I actually promised her I would continue to fight for, you know, even after her passing. Well, I, you and know, so, I, looking looking at you, Keith, and speaking to you, I, 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 I can feel your energy and your passion and your, 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 your commitment to this and your confidence in the story and what you need to do. That That's obviously come across. But as a producer, you're going around pitching it and you're going to big studios and you're going to people. And you say, well, you know what they say, why are you making this movie? Because a clairvoyant told me I had to. <laughs> no, no. How does that no, work? It, it wasn't man? that type of story. In fact, <laughs> my first attempt to produce this film was in 1995. I actually wrote a screenplay. I thought it was good at the time. Um, but the producers of, who worked with Showtime in the U.S. Yeah. actually optioned the screenplay and they sat on it and they shelved it. And so I had no control over the film for like three years no, of the material that I created. And so by that time, I had already met the late Mrs. May Matil Mobley and Matil's mother. And she saw that struggle that I was having and encouraged me to produce a documentary to use that as a stepping stone for us to get information out that I was discovering about the case that the public did not know in hopes that it was set up a justice-seeking atmosphere that allowed the case to be reopened. That happened. I produced the film, The Untold Story of Emmett Lewis Till. In 2004, the case was reopened because of my research and of course, um, the film, The Untold Story. And from there, um, the doors began to open where I met um, Fred Zolo, my producing partner, one of the producing partners on Till. Fred Zolo, for many who may not know, he's known for his great work in civil rights, um, with civil rights films, I should say, Mississippi Burning and Ghosts of Mississippi. So he's been the most successful than anyone um, in, the, in the U.S. and abroad with bringing these type of stories to the forefront on the big screen. And so when I met 
Fred and, and Thomas Levine, a, another producing partner on this project, I knew that I was on the right track and I knew that I was gathering the right team or being part of a great team that could possibly get this done. So and that's really interesting to me that to see that even you with all your passion and your knowledge and your facts and your connection uh, with Mamie, uh, you still need to find the right team producerially to put that together that they're going to bring some experience that Fred Zolo had with Alan Parker making Mississippi Burning. That's example, right. Uh, the, the patience that you require, that you must have, because <laughs> the highs and lows on every production journey is amazing, but yours are 29 years. Yeah, respect. Yeah, it, you know, it was a real struggle, but, I, you know, I call myself an unintentional filmmaker. You know, um, I only became a filmmaker by way of the story of Emmett Till when I told it as a documentary. Uh, I didn't go to school for filmmaking. So I mm -hmm. want to be clear about that. I was introduced to filmmaking by childhood friends who started their own film production company in New York City. And I was in college studying criminal justice in hopes of becoming a civil rights attorney. And here I go during my towards my junior year, I tell my parents I wanted to sit out a semester to see what my best friend was doing in New York with filmmaking. And that's how I was introduced to film. And so the first time I had a chance to, to work on a project that I personally wanted to pursue, the first thing that came to mind was Emmett Till. So I knew it was going to be a struggle for myself because I didn't go through, through film school or anything like that. I had to learn hands-on. And of course, when Fred Zolo and Thomas Levine had come in my life, I had a little name because of the documentary, um, War Winning. It was in theaters in 2005. And that helped me, you know, helped me understand more of the power that I had as an individual and in using the powerful medium of filmmaking as my activism tool to get the story out to the masses. And so, again, when I lined up with Fred Zolo and Thomas Levine, it was clear to me that that was the route to take because then I inherited. Uh, Barbara Broccoli. <laughs> yeah, so tell, tell us about tell us about Barbara Broccoli. Obviously, a huge <laughs> a huge name. Uh, we're very fond of her. Uh, obviously, yes. here very proud of her in the UK. And you know, and and her stretching out and doing something different to Bond, for example. But her 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 coming on when you bring on a name like that, what do they do? How do you work with them? And what does it add to it? <laughs> you know, I have to tip my hat off to Fred Zolo because Brett, you know, Fred and Barbara go a long way together. You know, I inherited. Barbara Broccoli through Fred Zolo. And when they met with me and sat down with me, I mean, I can be honest with you. Barbara said to me, look, you know, I'm really, you know, I really like this story and I want to help. And I would make sure this film is made. And here, you know, here I am talking to Barbara Broccoli, huge, huge producer. And, you know, I, I just believed in her. And, um, you know, it became... Not such of a struggle to tell the story of Till. We became family, you know. Um, she does that. She does that. Yeah. Everyone says we became you're family. In. I mean, you have to understand it was 18 years. Um, well, going on 20 years. I'm sorry, with myself, Fred, and Barbara, and Whoopi, and um, Thomas Levine, and so to have them in my life this long, and for them to believe in me, and believe in the story. You know, I, I'm still still overwhelmed about it. You know, um, I was this young, green filmmaker, you know, trying to tell this story that I heard most of my life and to be able to inherit and to meet these great producers 
and they believe in me enough to take on this project, man. It's a dream. Yeah. How did you, when, when you've got such powerful producing partners and, you know, there's Hollywood <laughs> involved, how, how do you, how did you, obviously you're key to the project. Uh, yes. But how do you make sure that you stay involved? How did you not go, all <laughs> oh, right, well, you take over, Barbara, you sort it out from here. Well, how did you, you know, so, cause I, I'm having th th those issues yeah. myself as a first time producer, you know, yes. you get some great offers and people love your thing and you're like, oh, that's good. And they, but they kind of go, well, we'll take this from here. We'll, and you're like, no, but I, I still want to be, here. Yeah, yeah. How, how did you it's it's funny. It's funny you should ask that. You know, it was like an exercise the whole journey with Fred, Barbara, and Whoopi. You know, I'm like youngest out of the bunch. And so these people are iconic. And for me, little Keith Beauchamp from Baker, Louisiana, um, trying to have a voice among this these giants, it wasn't, it was, I won't say it was a challenge. They they really allowed me to voice my opinion, they wanted to make sure that I was comfortable with every decision that was made. And I'm involved with the decisions as well. And so um, it wasn't a tug of war or anything like that. They knew, you know, they had the ability and expertise to get this film to where it needed to be. I coming in as a producer and as, as well as a co-writer, mm. you know, I had a, a significant amount of duties myself. And so um, I like to think the experience, you know, although it was a struggle at times because you want films to be out at the time where you were like, but I had, you, you spoke about patience. I mm -hmm. really had to have patience. And so through this project and this whole process, um, I learned what patience means mm -hmm. and how much patience is needed when you tackle a project like this, something that has never been um, told. I, I guess you, you know you. It, it's your material too. There's, there was no one yeah. more wedded to this and more expert in, in this than, than you. But That's there's still correct. there are still a thousand decisions of you know the sort of film that you put on screen, the sort of look that it goes for. Do you go for yeah. a more quite in, in the end quite a polished mainstream look rather than a kind of indie gritty look? Do you That's know what right. I mean? How That's those right. decisions come. <laughs> I, I love. The mainstream look of it i love the the yes. sort of uh, the, the 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 kind of pinks and the blues the pastels of it i love the style of it it had that heritage cinema feel but then of course it has so much more complexity to that and some scenes and shots that are very modern and very contemporary now well i have to tip my hats off to the creative team for that i mean chinoya chuku um had a vision for this film as well as our cinematographer and they got together and they really planned this this out the look and that's what's you know what's catching everyone's attention because i don't think people really notice and understand that this is the first time we've ever ever truly seen the life of a black family of the 50s and what i'm speaking of is is um the middle class family yes. black family of the yes. 50s and so that's what's i think think that's I would like to think that's was attracting a lot of people because that's why I was so attractive uh attracted to telling this story and the backdrop of, of the late Mrs. Mamie Till Mobley the way she lived because we don't normally see that on screen no we we, we expect it to all be you know kind of very poverty stricken or at exactly least or at least exactly. Some, you know, some country kind of yeah. south stuff to see them kind of in a in a very well-heeled society and a very kind yeah. of functional society with professionals and lawyers and that that That's was right. that, that was great i mean that was great and then, <laughs> then there's that amazing scene in the the all black town um i can't Bound remember the name you. 
yes, yes. when yes. you get a little tour of everyone <laughs> and it feels like a, some sort of Wakanda kind of place you know like, and, this, and of course yeah. these places happen but I've never seen them on screen to be honest with you Kim. yeah I mean there's a you know I and this is not to knock all the Marvel films and things of, of that nature out there I've never been a fan of um comic books i never grew up like wanting to read comic books i don't know why that may be strange to many but the the, the stories that i was told as a child growing up in the deep south of baton rouge louisiana were stories of the civil rights era um those sheroes and heroes who were on the front lines fighting for civil and human rights in the united states and, you know, those are the heroes and sheroes that I always, the stories that I always wanted to tell. And so it's it's amazing to read and to learn about the story of Till at the age of 10, this historic story, and then become a part of his, that history and that story uh, within itself. And that's been my journey in a nutshell. And, and so it's um, truly remarkable to be, Stand, you know, sitting before you and, and speaking to you this morning uh, about this journey because it was a it was a long journey. I wouldn't expect anyone. It's to the long, you know, on this series of Meet this. the Producer of Meet the Producer. <laughs> we, we we hear how projects take a long time. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it to you. You 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 are the the, the, the <laughs> sort of patient champion. You are the longest gestating project. I think. Yeah, I mean, look when when Mother Mobley, one of the most prolific people that I will ever meet in my lifetime. I don't think I will have. Um, the chance to meeting anyone like that ever again. I think people like that come into your life at a specific time. And, and that's just the relationship you have. They cross, you cross paths with these great people. They come to your, come into your life for a reason. She came into my life and gave me direction of what I should be doing as a young individual in the United States and abroad. Um, she wanted to make sure her son's story was told so that we could be reminded on how ugly humanity can get if we don't continue to put humanity in check when it comes to race issues. And so um, I didn't have any choice. I guess that's what I'm saying to you, Jason. It was my obligation being someone who was a beneficiary to the, uh, you know, what transpired before the civil rights movement, America's civil rights movement, and during the civil rights movement, if not for those who paved the way for me, I would not exist. But I love the fact, Keith, that this has been your motivation throughout as a producer. You know, so many producers will come on, but how do I get this made? My motivation is to get a credit. My motivation is to get some money, to get yeah, paid yeah. for this. You know what I mean? <laughs> you kept the, the, the you, you seem to have kept the motivation that is kind of both spiritual and political and activism right. and personal uh, and inspirational from Mamie. You have a duty to do it. That that has kept you on the right, that has kept you going throughout, it feels. And that's a real, re really powerful tool. That's right. Um, you know, this is a luxury for me. What is the saying? If you if you do something that you're, you're passionate about and love, you will never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. That's what my life has been like for 30 years, nonstop. You know, waking up in the morning, thinking of Emmett Till, going to bed at night, thinking of Emmett Till. And this is throughout my career. And I've done many films, you know, since Till. But Till is what made me a filmmaker. And I don't take that lightly. 
Have you done filmmaking. many? Have you done many films? Yeah, I mean, you haven't done. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had a number of television series and yeah. so on. Uh, because of my work with Till, I'm actually known for investigating unsolved civil rights murder cases be, because of my experience and my work with Till. Which is an unfortunately uh, rich mind to see. You know what I mean? It's a it's, yes, a, it's a great absolutely. subgenre of the genre that everyone loves the true crime. And this is to me, this, right. this is absolutely thrilling. When I found out you did these, I'm like, I want to see those. I don't. I think I've seen those here. The I'm Justice gonna... Files is the last series that I had from 2010 to 2015. You can surely watch it here throughout the UK. I know it airs here. But, um, you know, filmmaking to me, Jason, is is a new wave of activism. I feel no more should we have to rely on our leadership to talk about atrocities in our, uh, in our country and, and abroad. Nothing hits you more than a visual. It's the visual of Emmett Till that sparked generations of people to mobilize and to fight against the white supremacy system, not only in the United States, but also internationally because Emmett Till's story was not just a national case, it was an international story, an international case. And so again, I don't take this position lightly because I felt that if I could transfer or to somehow adapt this experience of me seeing the photograph at the age of 10, and how it changed my life. If I could transfer or adapt that to film within filmmaking and show you these visuals, I have a better chance of awakening the sleeping giant in us all. And so I can honestly tell you my work has been doing that even before Till. So, you know, I have so much, even more high hopes now that Till the movie is done yeah, and we can now share it. Very interestingly, you, you know, you could look at the pictures of Emmett and, and 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 be angered by those, and you could do a whole film around Emmett himself and the lynching and stay with him. And there's a sort of horrific angle of that, and it could be about the story. But you you've taken it on and you've done it through the lens of Mammy, which is yes. a you know a brave artistic decision. I think one that pays off, and because it it, it sort of brings it more relevant even to today. This long. That's right. You, the patience of you, the patience of her, the commitment of her, the dignity of her in the way to behave in the face of such atrocity and personal loss. Um, so that leads me to have to talk about this extraordinary performance uh, by your by your <laughs> yes. lead actress. Um, Daniel Deadweiler. Daniel Deadweiler. Yes. I mean, remember the name because that is some performance. I have to say there's a scene in the courtroom where she gives her angry passionate testimony and then gets I think it's done in one shot then then the prosecution yes. comes in and asks her some shocking questions that she thinks she's nailed it and she thinks she's got it and then they come in with like shocking questions and the camera's just on her face I think that's it's right. all in one shot it's it's one of the great that was, uh, performances I've ever one seen of the shots of the film that people are continuing to talk about there was a seven minute take that was done and um after um Danielle took that take it was amazing because the whole crew gave her a standing ovation and people were clapping everywhere you were there on set i was there on oh, set wow. i was watching from the producer suite and all of us was sitting there with our mouths open and i was you know just shaking my head because for me you know i took on this a you know a little different than others because i knew mother mobley personally and i had a high bar for those who, you know, we would choose to play in this film. I mean, play a role in this film or take on a role in this film. 
And Danielle just blew it out of the park. Um, she exceeded my expectations in bringing my, my uh, mentor back to life. And it was just a remarkable experience to see that where I, it came a point in time where things were going so well, I was even questioning, is this the right thing for us to do? Because there are certain stories that are so sacred that you know many would argue shouldn't be, a, be touched. And so I started feeling guilty about that because here I am, you know, knowing the, the great woman, the late Mrs. Mamie Till Mobley, and then watching Danielle having to play that role and go through this emotional roller coaster, I was just, you know, really taken by the whole process and became emotional at times myself and had to walk away. And so that's how powerful this film, the making of this film was. And everyone on the crew came on it with their own reasons mm -hmm. um, to pursue and to make sure this story, you know, this film is successful. Well, and she's, that's she's, a, she's a great find. She's a great, I mean, to, to, for me, she's a bit of a discovery. When I look back, I was like, yes, I remember her from Harder They Fall. Um, yes. Uh, uh, I mean, she was great in that as well. But um, less, this, uh, this, uh, this is, there's a bit of that, like, who is this? She's just, you know, it's given well, one, of the, one of the great performances. Chuku and, and Barbara Broccoli, they saw something in Danielle uh, when they, they met her and saw the addition, addition tapes. And, uh, you know, that just, you know, it it just kind of traveled after. So this was, it, so Bar Barbara's involvement was, was she she was a backer of, uh, of Danielle in the Star Wars? Yes, role. absolutely. Yeah. They, they're the ones who were going through all the tapes. And, of course, I oversaw some tapes myself. And, you know, Danielle was one out of, what, three people that were looking at it. And we were worried. And, um, you know, because we thought we would have had a Mamie Till Bradley at that time. And, and you know, it was a challenge, Jason. I have to say that. Yeah, your, film, your film's not going to really work if you haven't quite got your Mamie Till. No, no. Mamie and, but people were afraid. You know, we had a number of Black actors who were afraid to even commit to such a role. And because, you know, it was dark role if you you know when you think about it, it's a mother you know dealing with the loss and the tragedy of her son who was lynched mm -hmm. and so you know even people had reservations about the film in general which is why it was so hard to make for 67 years you know <laughs> and so rightfully so um but you know we found danielle and and danielle just hit it out the park and i'm just so proud of her for being able to be a part of this this great film and um, I'm just happy to be able to to uphold a promise, to fulfill a promise that I gave to Mother Mobley herself. Well, I think so, you've, done, you've certainly done her justice. She does her justice. Uh, you mentioned there that no, it couldn't get produced for 67 years, and that there were some scripts going on. And I, I, I don't want to talk about you know the, the the general institutional racism of Hollywood and the movie system, etc. But is there a, is there a reason? You think that now is the time after this year that this movie can be <laughs> produced? What's changed? What's shifted? Is there a funding change? Is there a cultural change? Is it more relevant yes. now than ever? I think um, it's, a, it's a more of a cultural change. I think it's a generational change as well. I mean, Alana Mayo um, is the one who greenlighted this project, young um, Black woman 
And I was just- Is she at the studio? Sorry, I don't know. She's at the studio, yes, sir. And so, you know, she, you know, right off the bat, greenlit this project. And so we were thrown into this moment where we realized now we could watch this film and make sure it comes to fruition. But, you know, a lot of people were behind the scenes working. I mean, Whoopi was working, Fred Zolo, Barbara Broccoli, you know, Thomas Levine and my, uh, our other producer, Michael Riley and co-writer. We all was working, you know, and trying to get into the doors of, of the studios and, and to see who would be willing to make this film. But I can honestly tell you, Jason, there's no other story that speaks more to this generation, political and racial client. Uh, climate than the story of Emmett Till. So the climate of, of what's happening around the world also contributed to this film being made at this point in time. Such as Black Lives Matter, for for example. Black Lives because, Matter. Because, because so Emmett, was, Emmett was sort of the first. Exactly. Here's a Black Life that matters. Yes, yes. I'm, gl I'm glad you said that because, you know, that was one of the things that Mother Mobley instilled in me um, she used to say to me all the time, Keith, we must continuously tell Emmett's story until man's consciousness is risen, because only then that would mean justice for Emmett Till. For the longest time, and I, this is somebody in their mid-20s, for the longest time, I was trying to understand what she was trying to tell me. I didn't quite understand it, you know, until I got older and wiser and I learned more about civil and human rights. And then I started looking at the world around me. And I noticed some things there, you know, were paramount that people should be aware of. And so now I realized at that point in time that what Mother Mobley was saying to me, those words were prophetic in many ways. And what she was saying was, no matter how hard that I continue to fight to get justice for Emmett Till, I may even attain courtroom justice is what she always wanted. It won't stop all the other Emmett Tills of the world from happening. So this is why she wanted so, you talked about um, this film happening so strongly because she wanted the world to continue to educate themselves about the ugliness of humanity and racism and it's through the story of our son Emmett Till. Mm -hmm. Out of the ugliness of humanity and the depths that it can plumb and the racism of it, you still made a very hopeful and inspirational film somehow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the story of Emmett Till is not just about the death of Emmett Till. It's about a mother's struggle, who, who a mother who becomes an unintentional activist. Yes. Like I'm an unintentional filmmaker who's thrown yeah. into this whirlwind of, of um, isms because she had to fight all the isms of the world in 55 and had to overcome all you know this heartache and pain and and to to triumph at the end by contributing to the mobilization of the American civil rights movement and that's something i don't want to be lost emmett was the catalyst that sparked the american civil rights movement it's because of emmett till's death that rosa parks decided not to get up from her seat on that bus in montgomery alabama it's because of emmett till's death that Dr. Martin Luther King, who was 26 years old at the time, decided to take on the Montgomery bus boycott because he felt that the murder of Emmett Till was an intimidation factor to keep black people away from the polls. 1955 was an election year. 
And so Mother Mobley, she had always wanted the story to be told, but be, be told in its rightful context and history because I truly believe, and I know she believed that she had man's blueprint to, liber to their own liberation when it comes to racial progression in the, in the United States mm -hmm. and around the globe. A great story and, and, and you know, t testament to your research to know those things. Because each time you're pitching the movie and sort of saying, well, well, why, why are we telling Emmett Till? Because I thought Rosa Parks was the start of all. No, but Rosa was thinking of Emmett when she did it. You knew That's that. Right. You know what I mean? You have, the, you have the power. You have the secret. You have the IP for that in a way, Keith. <laughs> Tell me, you must have imagined this film in your head on the screen right. many, many, many times. I don't know, you've imagined it as a Spike Lee movie, as a Sidney Poitier <laughs> movie, you've imagined it as a as a cool indie movie, I don't know, shot by yes. I know, by Ryan Coogler in his early Fruitvale Station kind of guys. How much does it now, the finished product up on the screen that you're looking around and taking through awards season, how much does it look like the film that you've had in your head, which parts of it are the film you had in your head? Well, you know, for me, coming from the documentary discipline, I think everything about the story of Emmett Till, including Mamie Till Mobley, her actions are important to tell. Of course, it was, it was, you know, something I had to work closely with my team with about getting the right story on the page. And that, that started off with Michael Raleigh and myself sitting down at the table we were supposed to hash out a treatment. And I'm like, I told Fred and Barbara, you know, if I'm going to sit down, I'm not going to hash out a treatment. I just need someone to assist me in getting this story out of my head. You got 27 years of story in your exactly, head. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I needed someone to help me get all this stuff on the page. And Michael sat down with me and we went through the, you know, my whole journey. We put what we felt that should be on the page, the story itself. And then when we hired Chinoya Chiku to come in, she also came in and written over what we had wrote and polished the script to where it needed to be and how, it, how it's produced. And so, you know, of course there's bits and pieces I would have loved to put in it. I wanted the film to be three hours. That's me. <laughs> With a, a traditional interview, you waited 27 years, you're entitled to three yeah, hours. Exactly. So, <laughs> look, I had, I had a whole story in my head. But no, understandably, I, I understood that, you know, there were certain things that we could not include on screen for this particular time frame that we had. And, um, you know, we had a great team that came together to make sure that we, that we had the right story to tell. And uh, it's doing what it, it needs to do. I mean, it's, you know, I've been out, I've been um, sharing the film with students from, you know, across the country in the United States. And I, I've been here in the UK. The last time I was here a few months ago, I was able to be at Burbank College to hear response from young people as well. And it's, 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 it's doing what Mother Mobley wanted. She wanted to, again, awaken that sleeping giant in us, that sleeping giant for change. And it's reaching people more than I could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And how's, how's, I mean, there's talk of it in the awards season. You've done some festival circuits, the <laughs> London Film Festival, for example. Uh, yes. Awards season, sort of just starting out. I see Danielle Deadweller, remarkably to me, I was like looking at the Golden Globe lists, you know, for whatever they count. Yeah, no, and I, was like, I was like, well, she's not on there. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, yeah. how, how, how's your first steps into a, the awards season as a producer? You know, I'm, I'm embracing everything as it comes. I, I've never been um, the type of person that 
need an award for my particular work because I, I, I just think, you know, Jason, I was just truly blessed to meet someone like the late Mrs. Mamie Till Mobley who had, you know, made, gave me a focus on what my purpose in life would be. You know, I've learned about my calling early on. And so and it's not a golden globe. <laughs> yeah. Everything that is happening is what I've always wanted. This film is what's actually started my career. I mean, I was trying to produce the film early on and now it's finally done. So that was my biggest goal. Now, everything else that comes behind this, I'm, I humbly accept. I, you know, that's icing on the cake, but I, I've reached the goal that I wanted to reach, and that was to make this film final. Amazing, amazing! And, and did you did you get did you have a choice in any of the music choices? Did you get one of your songs that you wanted in there? Is it, 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 it uh, you beat when I well, should have bopped? Is that your choice? Well, no. Um, Abel, who who's our our um, composer, did a great job. I mean, I wasn't really focused on music as much. I was more focused on. Who could we get to play certain roles? Because I wanted this to be an outstanding cast. And that was where my worries were. And we did a, a spectacular job. I mean, we have Tolson Cole. We have so many others, you know, involved, you know, great Whoopi Goldberg, who didn't have to play a role. But, uh, you know, we cannot see doing this film without including Whoopi. And um, Danielle, Jalen Hall, so Sean Patrick many Thomas is great. Sean Patrick Thomas, my buddy. I mean, I've always dreamt of working with him at some point in my career. And so to have him come aboard and to be a part of this family, you know, I'm just overwhelmed by everybody who was involved because people are acting because of a dream that I had. You know, and, no, you that's know, produ and, you produced this. That's yes, uh, that's producing. Yeah, but you know, that's that's different. You know, I'm not a big name producer. You know, I'm just someone who had a smile and a hope and a dream, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then came aboard to help. And so I, you know, I'm just overwhelmed and I'm 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 truly blessed by the whole experience. And I was cherished this moment for the rest of my my adult life. This moment of being on Meet the Producer podcast with me. Well, that's I'm yeah. glad you'll cherish that. I'm Thank <laughs> listen, you. we I'm honestly best to have you. It's a fantastic story. And honestly, I, it's a fantastic film. I've seen it rather late. Uh, and for me, it's kind of a massive contender, but it that that's the least that's the least of its attributes. You know what I mean? It's just a no, great sir. performance, fantastic, fantastic looking, and, and an insight into a, a world that I didn't know and a character I didn't know well enough. And now I do. So Keith Beauchamp, thank you very that's much right. indeed. Thank you. What did I learn from a producer like Keith Beauchamp? Well, his is a different sort of production journey, isn't it? Uh, but a fascinating, indeed, a heroic one. So I discovered how other producers on Till harnessed his knowledge, his passion, expertise, his heart to the best effect, and how that command of the subject kept him on board throughout. It was his indispensability, you know? I love uh, hearing his political drive, too, to see that filmmaking is a form of activism. And I think that's something hugely important, that these things we make mean something and can change the way people think and see. And that that can be a driver and keep us going when it's all getting difficult and people are down. And I love this thing that Keith said uh, there about watching Daniel Deadwiler's amazing performance, particularly in that long take, how he mentioned he was watching from the producer's suite. 
I didn't know about producer's suites. I need a producer's suite. I'm imagining like white leather sofas and glass vases full of coloured M&Ms. I don't know why. Maybe there's a sandwich or two. <laughs> but what an inspiring idea, a producer's suite. Gotta have myself one of those. And what an inspiring man, Keith Beauchamp. Thanks for listening to Meet the Producer from the Production Guild of Great Britain and sponsored by PSN Production Service Network. To find out more about them and the key resources they can provide for producers, go to productionguild.com and productionservicenetwork.com. And for more about me, it's jasonsolomons.com. And we'll all see you on the next episode.